It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. In 1961, President Dwight D. Eisenhower warned the world about the threat of unchecked military expansion. He watched as nuclear bombs came rattling off the assembly line. He feared that one day the presence of these instruments of death would only necessitate their use. So far, humanity has avoided a nuclear apocalypse, partially due to Eisenhower's warning. But what if that foresight was not the product of Eisenhower's own mind? What if, instead, Eisenhower was warned of our coming doom by someone who had seen this doom played out before? What if President Dwight D. Eisenhower was coached and guided in his policies by an extraterrestrial? Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed, but our obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial on the Parcast Network. I'm Tim. And I'm Bill. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters with beings from another world. We're aware that some of these tales may seem completely unbelievable. Others may seem all too real. But these stories shed light on human nature, human beliefs, and human psychology. And each story has garnered hundreds, if not millions, of true believers. And for that reason, we think they're worth exploring. Today, we're telling the story of Commander Valiant Thor, an alien from Venus who supposedly came to Earth in 1957 to heal all of humanity's woes. Then, next week, we'll take an investigative approach to his tale and see what, if anything, can explain the stories of his arrival on Earth. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parkcast.com slash merch for more information. In 1960, a man named Dr. Frank Strangis published a pamphlet titled My Friend from Beyond Earth. In that pamphlet, Frank claimed to have met with an alien commander from the planet Venus named Valiant Thor. Frank later expanded the story in his 1967 book titled Stranger at the Pentagon. He followed up that book with almost a dozen other books about Valiant Thor spanning decades. Frank sold so many books that he made his living off book sales and speaking engagements. As the story spread across the world, 
other people also claimed to have met or spoken with Valiant Thor. Some of these people included President Eisenhower's great-granddaughter, Laura Eisenhower, and award-winning filmmaker Craig Campobasso. Many of these people were part of Frank's inner circle, a group of devotees who sincerely believed Frank's story. This belief was so sincere, they were willing to pay a $125 annual fee to subscribe to Frank's SpaceLink newsletter, a bi-monthly publication used to dispense intergalactic news and the wisdom of Valiant Thor. Due to the complexity of his tale, Valiant Thor has become one of the most well-known real-life aliens to have ever graced the Earth. While most alien stories focus on groups of extraterrestrials, Commander Valiant Thor is one of the only aliens with an individual name and a plainly stated mission. His story has gained mountains of notoriety, and thus it demands discussion, even if much of it seems far-fetched. It is believed by millions of people. This is the story of the Earthling, Dr. Frank Strangis, and his peculiar friendship with Commander Valiant Thor, an alien being from the planet Venus. The skies were clear and the air was crisp on the morning of March 15, 1957, in Alexandria, Virginia. Two police officers leaned against their cruiser and enjoyed the pleasant spring weather. As they chatted, the wind picked up. The pair looked around the clearing to notice tall grass bending downwards. Before their eyes, what used to be open air suddenly transformed into a shimmering metal saucer floating 10 feet off the ground. The saucer was as wide as a football field, made of thick, gleaming metal, and had lights pulsing from its rims. As it lowered itself to rest upon the ground, the officers could see that the central tower stood nine stories tall. The men were stunned by the sight of this massive vehicle. As they stared in awe, the seamless metal opened and a ramp extended down to the ground. Loud footsteps came from within the craft. The officers watched as a single person came striding out from the gargantuan ship. To the officers' great surprise, this strange being looked much like them. He was six feet tall with brown eyes, brown hair, a handsome face, and a winsome smile. Nothing seemed particularly alien about him except for the suit he wore. The man's clothing was a single-piece suit without folds and without seams. It shone with a bright golden hue, and its material seemed to be from another world. Shaken from their wonder, the officers quickly pulled their guns. There was no telling what this strange man was capable of. While their weapons quaked with fear, a gentle voice permeated their minds. I am not your enemy. I am here to help make your world anew. Through this transference of thought, the officers could tell that this man possessed only good intentions. They lowered their weapons. One officer asked the man, what is your name? Walking ever closer down the ramp, the luminous man responded out loud. You would not understand my name if you heard it in my own tongue, but you earthlings may call me Valiant Thor, Val for short. The officers nodded. Val hadn't said another word, but they both could tell that this man had come to speak with the president. Now, we know this sounds silly, but for now, we'll try to relay the claims made in the story as if they were true. 
But we should also remember, stories like these should also be approached with a healthy amount of skepticism. I mean, these police officers just magically knew the alien had come to speak with the president? That seems like a fishy claim to me. Valiant Thor was previously stated to be telepathic, so it's entirely possible that he communicated his intentions to speak to the president without having to verbally state it. However, it should also be stated that no police officer has ever come forward and corroborated the story of this alien visitation. In fact, these two police officers have never even been named in the original story, or any story after that. Perhaps this is because all the information we have comes from one source, Dr. Frank Stranges. Dr. Stranges becomes more prominent in the story later on. For now, let's continue the story where we left off. Val sat down in the back seat of the car, and the three men drove to the Pentagon. The gates and doors to the building were teeming with security measures. Metal detectors, police dogs, barbed wire, and armed military guards stationed at every point of entry. As the car approached the building, Val's presence could be felt throughout the area. The dogs started barking, and the guards raised their weapons, some in anger, some in fear. The police officers stopped their cruiser and got out to release Val from the back seat. They were shocked to find that by the time they turned around, Val was already standing outside the car. Val's arms were raised to signify that he came in peace. Hold on. This is sounding very similar to other alien visitation stories I've heard over the years. Stranger at the Pentagon was published in 1967, but Valiant Thor's story resembles the plot of a movie that was released in 1951, titled The Day the Earth Stood Still. Perhaps even more damning is its similarity to the lesser-known 1954 film Stranger from Venus. This movie is about a woman who meets a man with no pulse. It turns out that this man is from the planet Venus, and he came to warn humanity about the dangers of the atom. There are definitely some prominent similarities between this story and those films. More similarities will arise as we continue the story, and we won't have time to cover them all, but keep these movies in mind as we continue. As Commander Valiant Thor approached the Pentagon, he spoke boldly and confidently, assuring the guards that he had come to the Pentagon in good faith. The guard dogs could feel Val's positive energy radiating out from him. They stopped barking and started wagging their tails in excitement. The guards scrambled forward to shake this man's hand. Val calmed the crowd and entered the building, escorted by guards eager to continue speaking with the extraterrestrial. The guards brought Val straight to the command center of the Pentagon, where the Secretary of Defense greeted him. It should be noted that in Frank Strange's book about Valiant Thor, Stranger at the Pentagon, the Secretary of Defense does not have a name. This is odd, because the Secretary of Defense would have been a man named Charles Irwin Wilson. Dr. Strangest likely never knew the Secretary's name, and it seems he never bothered to look it up. For a supposedly factual story, this seems like a rather significant fact to be missing. In order to give this story the benefit of the doubt, we will use the Secretary's name for the rest of our telling. As we return to the story, Secretary Wilson will introduce Valiant Thor to the President, and we'll see what happens when an alien is taken to our leader. 
Valiant Thor and President Eisenhower will finally meet after this. And now, back to the story. On March 15, 1957, Commander Valiant Thor, an alien from Venus, landed his spacecraft in Virginia, then was quickly escorted to the Pentagon. There, he met the Secretary of Defense, Charles Irwin Wilson. I've been informed that you've come to speak with the President. Before we can let that happen, I need to know why you're here, spoke Secretary Wilson. Val understood. His seamless suit opened to form a pocket. Val pulled a small alien device from his pocket and pressed a button. Words in an alien language were displayed in the air for all to see. The witnesses to this event were stupefied to see these alien letters shift into words in their minds. Despite the fact that they had never heard nor seen this language before, the witnesses found they were able to comprehend every sentiment being expressed. Valiant Thor explained that this was the result of his people's telepathic translation technology, designed to speak the meaning of words directly into the reader's minds. The words were an unexpected and detailed proposal from the High Council, the highest governmental authority on the planet Venus, similar to Earth's United Nations. This was the very government who had sent Valiant Thor to Earth on his mission. Secretary Wilson read the proposal line by line. It possessed a step-by-step -step plan to avoid nuclear proliferation, surpass the technological capabilities of fossil fuels, cure all diseases, solve the problem of hunger, and put an end to all human war forever. Naturally, Secretary Wilson was overwhelmed by this momentous proposition, as were most of the men in the room. One captain in the Air Force, a man who was given the pseudonym Captain Gould, famously said, my God, why couldn't this have happened on my day off? After much deliberation and careful consideration, Secretary Wilson decided it was time to involve the president. He called the Oval Office and notified the Secret Service of the coming guest. Guards escorted Valiant Thor to the deepest corner of the Pentagon. A secret code was entered into a keypad and a wall slid away to reveal a clandestine elevator. Val was ushered onto the elevator, and they began descending into the bowels of the earth. They reached a tunnel lined with armed guards, then boarded a train that shuttled them below the expansive city of Washington, D.C. A long train ride led into a second long ride in an elevator, this time carrying Valiant Thor and his attaché straight up to the Oval Office. It should be stated that, according to all official records, a secret subway from the Pentagon to the White House does not actually exist. As Val entered the office, he noticed over a dozen Secret Service agents standing against the walls. Their hands hovered near their firearms, waiting for Val to make a wrong move. Val nodded hello to each of them, then turned to acknowledge the man in charge, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, standing in front of his desk. Their conversation was straight to the point. Eisenhower asked, where do you come from, spaceman? Val responded, I come from the planet your Bible calls the morning and the evening star. Venus, can you prove this? Asked Eisenhower. Come to my ship and see for yourself. Eisenhower looked to his security detail. They shook their heads. Eisenhower said, I would take up your offer in a second, but it's not up to me. There's protocol and whatnot to keep me at my post. Before Val could respond, the door to the office opened and Vice President Richard Nixon entered the room. 
He walked straight up to Val and shook his hand. After a quick introduction and some witty banter, Eisenhower got back to business. He looked over the proposal Val had brought from the High Council and informed Val that America's best scientists would have to run some calculations and see if the proposal was legitimate. In the meantime, Eisenhower offered to house Val in a fully furnished apartment at the Pentagon. Val accepted their offer. As he moved to leave the Oval Office, Vice President Nixon asked him one last thing. Your clothes are stunning, said Nixon. Is there any chance our boys in research could do some tests on them? Val smiled and nodded, saying they'd be welcome to test his clothing, so long as they provided him with some temporary replacements. The vice president assured Val that plenty of clothing would be made available to him in his new apartment. And with that reassurance, Val was escorted back through the secret tunnels to the Pentagon. Once Val was shown his furnished apartment in the Pentagon, he put on Earthling clothing and gave his spacesuit to the government scientists for later testing. With nothing else for him to do, he lounged in his apartment until he received a call from three members of his spaceship's crew named Don, Jill, and Tanya. Jill, an alien with a shockingly human name, said, Commander Thor, we've heard word of a gathering of Earthlings who believe in extraterrestrial life. Don and I think it would be a worthwhile use of our time to attend this gathering, incognito. Val responded, An excellent idea. The United States government has provided plenty of earthling clothes for us to wear. I only have to leave this building, then I'll be with you shortly. Commander Val went to his furnished department's closet and grabbed a spare suit for his friend Don. He would stop by a dress shop for Jill on his way back to the ship, but for now, he had to leave the Pentagon. Val opened his apartment door, only to find two Secret Service agents in jet black suits flanking him. One of the agents turned to him and asked, Where do you think you're going? Valiant Thor asked, Am I not allowed to move about as I wish? Have I become a prisoner of the United States government? The other agent spoke, Prisoner? Not a prisoner. You've got an apartment, not a cell. We'd just prefer you stay put and out of the top secret areas, like this hallway here. Valiant Thor realized this agent was trying to be clever. If Val could not enter this hallway, he could not leave his apartment at all. Now it was Val's turn to be clever. With his mind, Val activated the trans-imagery technology that he had used to help human beings understand his Venusian language. Commander Val held up his empty hand and showed it to the agents. Val then said, It's a good thing I've got top-secret clearance. Take a look at the ID badge the president had made for me. Val had no such ID badge, but the two agents' eyes noticeably widened as they stared at Val's empty hand. In their eyes, they saw a full-fledged authentic Pentagon ID badge granting Val top-secret clearance and the ability to wander as he so pleased. One of the agents stammered, how did you get that? The other agent replied, it doesn't matter how he got it, Nimrod. What matters is, he's got it. He stepped out of Valiant Thor's way and nodded. We're sorry for our insolence, sir. Please, go wherever you'd like. Valiant Thor smiled at the men and went on his way. At every checkpoint through the building, he showed guards and agents his non-existent ID, and at each checkpoint, they let him pass. Once he had successfully left the Pentagon, Commander Valiant Thor hailed a cab and got a ride back to his spaceship. 
It's interesting that on this occasion, Valiant Thor falsifies an ID badge to leave the Pentagon. In many anecdotes that come later in the book, Valiant Thor is shown to have the power of teleportation. Frank Stranges himself stated that Valiant Thor could teleport out of the Pentagon at any point. It doesn't quite make sense for Val to go through all this extra effort just to leave a building. It is odd, but as Val was leaving the Pentagon, the government was learning all they could about his spacesuit technology. The American military's greatest chemists, material scientists, and engineers all gathered around Commander Val's curious clothing. They poked and prodded at it, bending it this way and that. It flowed with ease in their hands and folded any way they desired. It felt soft and light. It never showed any wrinkles, yet it stretched like putty, snapping back into its original form with ease. The scientists were entranced and mystified, but an unidentified colonel who was present was more interested in other aspects of the material. The general barked out, Quit fawning over fabrics, gentlemen. It's time to test its potential martial applications. We're going to rip, tear, and blow this thing to kingdom come. The general had them tie the suit up to the wall, and then he pulled out a diamond-headed drill. He shouted, Durability test number one, and fired up the drill. He pressed the drill against the fabric, and the drill quickly broke. The suit was entirely unharmed. The general and the scientists were all stunned. They continued on with a battery of other durability exams. They fired upon it with all types of gun, but no bullet could pierce the fabric. They poured acid on it, but the acid only slid off and burned a hole in the floor. Finally, they blasted the suit with a flamethrower and beamed it with a high-powered maser, the microwave-based precursor to the laser. Through all this abuse, Valiant Thor's space clothing stood gleaming like the sun, undamaged and magnificent. The general was stunned and said, by golly, I think we need to take this spaceman's plan more seriously. America's scientists then dissected the plan line by line, calculating the costs and benefits Valiant Thor's plan to eliminate nuclear weapons, war, disease, and famine would provide. As they poured over the plan, Valiant Thor attended a meeting that would steer him towards the man who started it all, Dr. Frank E. Strangis. We'll finally get to meet the good doctor after this. And now, back to the story. After leaving the Pentagon, Commander Val and his crewmates prepared for the meeting of ufologists. They dressed in Earth clothing Val had acquired to attend the meeting incognito and brought along a pen and paper to take notes without standing out. In April of 1957, the Venusians, Valiant Thor, Dawn, Jill, and Tanya, attended a meeting in a backyard belonging to one Mr. Howard Menger in Highbridge, New Jersey. According to Howard Menger, this meeting actually happened, and the people at the meeting discussed their experiences with various extraterrestrials, none the wiser that four extraterrestrials were sitting among them. Most of the people at the meeting, including Howard, assumed these four strangers were extremely good-looking show people from New York who had also taken an interest in extraterrestrials and UFOs. However, one man, a photographer named August C. Roberts, could tell that something was different about them. When August shook Valiant Thor's hand, 
he got a powerful feeling that Val could see straight through him into his very soul. August, suspecting that these four might not have been from Earth, snapped discreet photos of the group throughout the gathering. These photos of Valiant Thor and his crew are available online and are touted by believers as proof of Valiant Thor's existence. These photos show three people sitting at a garden party. Two men dressed in the 1950s style, slicked hair, black suits, etc., sit with a blonde woman wearing a white dress. Allegedly, these three are the aliens Valiant Thor, Don, and Jill, but nothing about them looks particularly alien. These photos could easily be pictures of three ordinary people. Supposedly, these three were purposefully trying to lay low. Perhaps they look like ordinary people, but they were entirely extraordinary instead. Shortly after the Venusians' pictures were taken, the meeting of ufologists came to a close. After taking copious notes, Valiant Thor returned to the Pentagon, where President Eisenhower waited with some bad news. Eisenhower spoke. Valiant, I regret to inform you, but the United States will not be able to enact your High Council's proposal. Our best scientists have determined that the elimination of nuclear bombs, famine, and disease would devastate America's economy, and the American people would be unable to live with the conditions that would follow such a drastic collapse. Val was taken aback. He responded, you mean to say they would be unable to live with the elimination of war, disease, famine, and fossil fuels? Val looked closely at Eisenhower, noticing the president's eyes flitting to the corners of the room where shadowy men stood with disapproving frowns. Eisenhower said, the economy would be ruined. We won't follow your plan, but you are more than welcome to stay at the Pentagon and advise us on other things during your tenure here. Someone else was pulling the president's strings. Val was disappointed, but he did not come to Earth with only one option. He took the president's offer and stayed in his apartment at the Pentagon, all while conducting reconnaissance throughout the planet to find someone who was not subject to the government's control. He had to find a special person who could take his message to the people. Then, after three full years at the Pentagon, Val finally found his man. And surprisingly, that man had already managed to find Val, or at least photographs of Val. The photos taken of Commander Thor and his crewmates at the ufologist gathering in New Jersey had made their way into the hands of one particular ufologist by the name of Dr. Frank E. Strangis. If you'll recall, Dr. Strangis is the man who wrote Stranger at the Pentagon, our primary source on Valiant Thor's visit to Earth. Dr. Strangis was a UFO researcher with degrees in psychology, criminology, and theology. He had been a federal marshal, an investigator, and most interestingly, a Pentecostal minister. He was the president of the International Evangelical Crusades and the International Theological Seminary of California. His mixture of UFO research and evangelical preaching of the message of Jesus were the perfect combination to pique Valiant Thor's interest. In December of 1959, Dr. Strangis had been traveling throughout the East Coast giving a series of lectures on his book titled Flying Saucerama. The book detailed Dr. Strangis' investigations into UFO phenomenon, and by Christmas week, he was holding a book signing in Washington, D.C. Dr. Strangis sat at his table and signed copy after copy of Flying Saucerama. 
His eyes clouded with joy as he looked at all the smiling faces. He had spent years working on flying saucerama, hoping beyond hope that his research would be taken seriously. Now, here they were, serious people with smiling faces looking for his signature. Then, from the middle of the crowd, a woman in a professional suit approached. Dr. Strangis noticed that she wasn't smiling. In fact, she looked rather worried to be walking towards him. Her copy of Flying Saucerama shook as she handed Dr. Strangis her book. He smiled at her to calm her nerves, then he opened the book to supply his signature, only to find a high-clearance Pentagon ID. The woman introduced herself to Dr. Strangis, and he later gave her the name Nancy Warren to protect her identity. Nancy had been working at the Pentagon, and Commander Val himself had sent Nancy to retrieve Dr. Strangis. Nancy extended an offer to meet the man in Dr. Strangis' photograph, and Dr. Strangis quickly accepted. He met Nancy at the curb in front of his hotel at 8 a.m. the next day. Nancy drove him to the Pentagon. Dr. Strangis watched as the car approached the building. They came upon a roundabout with a one-way sign pointing them to the right. Nancy turned the car to the left. Dr. Strangis, worried about what might happen next, yelled out, Nancy, this is the wrong way. Nancy responded, Don't fret, Frank. This is the right way for us. As they pulled around the curve to the building, cars drove past them without honking horns or flashing lights. The armed guards watched as the car pulled up to the security gate, unperturbed. Nancy stopped the car, and Frank sat stock still in his seat. The guards were looking right at him. Nancy said, I told you not to worry, Frank, so why worry now? We're going to get out of the car and walk toward the gate. When we pass the guards, point at your lapel. Everything will be fine. Dr. Strangis suspected she wasn't telling him the whole story. After all, his lapel was bare. As Nancy got out of the car, Frank sat pondering his options. Part of him thought it would be best to go home now without risking a crackdown from the Secret Service. Yet a louder voice from deep inside his soul told him he could trust her. His curiosity overwhelmed his caution and he followed Nancy to the entrance. He watched as Nancy flashed her ID and walked past two armed guards. Those same guards looked at him expectantly. He pointed at his lapel, and the guards nodded, letting him through as if nothing was the matter. Now, it's important to note that this part of the story changed almost every time Dr. Strangis decided to tell it. In his book, the guards look at his lapel. In one of his lectures, he claims to have shown the guards the inside of his suit jacket. And still, in another one of his lectures, he claims to have held up his empty hand, as if he was holding an ID, much like Valiant Thor did as Valiant Thor left the Pentagon. It is strange that Dr. Strangis was never consistent with this part of his story, especially considering the fact that in one of his lectures, he spends over five minutes on this part of the story alone. Yet, whatever part of his clothing Dr. Strangis showed the guards, he managed to gain entry to the Pentagon itself. Stunned, Dr. Strangis continued into the building. As he approached the foreboding white walls, his inner thoughts began to spiral with anxiety once again. He grew concerned that he might be the victim of some sick prank meant to land him in prison. 
Nancy led Dr. Strangis through the winding corridors of the Pentagon until they arrived at an office where three men sat typing at typewriters in the corner. Dr. Strangis said hello to the men, but none responded. Their eerie indifference to him caused Dr. Strangis' hair to raise on end. Soon, he felt Nancy's hand on his shoulder. Nancy reiterated, Everything will be made clear soon, Frank. Don't worry. Dr. Strangis tried to tamp down his fear, but the clacking of those keys ate away at his mind. He looked to the door with longing for the outside. His muscles tensed as he was about to run for the exit, but then the door opened and Commander Valiant Thor, the glorious man sent by the High Council of Venus, entered the room. Dr. Strangis knew the moment he laid eyes on Val, that Val was not of this world. Much like August C. Roberts, the photographer who had snapped photos of Val a little less than three years earlier, Dr. Strangis felt in his spirit that Val could look right through him. Val thanked Dr. Strangis for coming to see him. After a cursory introduction, Dr. Strangis asked question after question, starting with the mystery of how he had been allowed into the Pentagon without an ID. Val explained that he had used trans imagery to make the guards see an ID upon his lapel. Val also stated that he was using the same technique to blind the three typing men to their presence in the room. Dr. Strange's conversation with Val was going to take place in complete secrecy. Now, knowing that he was able to speak freely, Dr. Strangis asked Valiant Thor about his purpose on the planet Earth. Valiant Thor smiled. He explained to Dr. Strangis that he was an advisor sent by the Almighty God himself. Val had been created at the beginning of the universe along with Adam and Eve and all of the first members of the various races and species that populate the inhabited planets of the universe. Unlike Adam and the humans of Earth, Valiant Thor and his people, the people from the interior of the planet Venus, had never broken God's immortal law. As such, the Venusians lived in communion with the Creator, God, and Val was close personal friends with Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the ruler above all. Val showed Frank his hands to prove his claims. Val's hands had no fingerprints, and Val stated that fingerprints were a mark made upon man as a sign that they had broken the commandments of the Lord. Val also showed Dr. Strangis his stomach, and Dr. Strangis was shocked to see that Val possessed no belly button. This proved that Val had been directly created because all people who had been birthed would necessarily possess belly buttons. After stunning Dr. Strangis with these proofs of his claims, Val proceeded to explain that his mission to bring spirituality back to Earth had largely failed. The politicians were too worried about their bottom line and a shadowy cabal of business interests, religious authorities, and other such powerful men did not wish to give up power, even if that meant they could cure all disease for all time. Stunned by this news, Dr. Strangis grew distraught. If the world's leaders had rejected Val's message, could the world ever truly improve? Val clarified that the leaders had not rejected his advice entirely. Val had helped the United States develop space medicine to assist injured astronauts in space. But more importantly, 
Val had summoned Doctor Strangest to the Pentagon to help him fix the world. While the world leaders refused to bring Val's message to the people, Dr. Strangis, with his amazing credentials, impeccable investigation skills, and deeply held faith in Jesus Christ, could be Val's emissary to the world. Dr. Strangis was stunned. This magnificent man, glowing with brilliance, had chosen him as his envoy to the people? Yet the more Frank thought about it, he had to admit he was a good fit for the job. He had spent much of his life preaching the good news of Christ to the people already. He had also faced much ridicule for his belief in UFOs, but he had stood tall throughout the persecution. Val said, Dr. Strangis, if you need more proof that you've been touched by God, you need only look at your stunning masterwork, Flying Saucerama. That book is clearly divinely inspired. The hand of God guided yours as you typed. Dr. Strangis was blown away. Everything he had felt during the writing of that book was now being confirmed by an immortal, created being. It was almost more than he could handle. But as he allowed himself to process this overwhelming emotion, he realized he had just been given a divine purpose. Valiant Thor told Dr. Strangis many more things during this meeting, almost too much wisdom for one man to relate to the world. When the meeting ended, Val told Dr. Strangis he was looking forward to working with him in the future. Dr. Strangis was surprised to hear that this ET wished to continue working with him. He asked Commander Val when they would next speak. Val said, we'll meet again when the time is right. At that moment, Val vanished from before Dr. Strangis' very eyes. Nancy Warren escorted him out of the Pentagon and Dr. Strangis returned to his hotel room to ponder this life-changing event. Dr. Strangis was conflicted. He knew that the government would not appreciate him acting as a whistleblower. He knew that the shadowy forces that controlled the world would not like it if he publicly spoke out against the corruption within the government. And yet, Dr. Strangis also knew that all good causes need their martyrs. He wrote the book, Stranger at the Pentagon, to describe his experiences with Commander Valiant Thor and to expose the darkness and greed motivating the decisions of our world leaders. Stranger at the Pentagon first hit the bookshelves sometime in early 1967, 10 years after Valiant Thor first met with President Eisenhower in 1957. Stranger at the Pentagon was released only to be panned by critics and non-believers. Even the people who should have been Dr. Strange's closest allies, his fellow ufologists, mocked his stories. Yet, Dr. Strangis knew what he had seen and whom he had met. Or at least, he kept making those claims. While most people disregarded his stories, not everyone ignored Dr. Strangis. Some people took Dr. Strangis very seriously, deadly seriously. By telling the world about Valiant Thor, Dr. Strangis had threatened the economic interests of very dangerous men. Men who fully intended to make Dr. Strangis pay for his testimony with his life. Thanks for listening to Extraterrestrial. We'll be back next Tuesday as we conclude the saga of Dr. Strangis and Valiant Thor. 
Then, we'll take a more critical look at the story and a closer look at Dr. Strange's himself. You can listen to Extraterrestrial and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep your eyes on the sky. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Extraterrestrial is written by Giles Hobseth and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson. <laughs>